There we go. Welcome to the program. Uh, Jeff Merrick along with you. Glad to be back in the chair. Thanks to everyone for uh, stepping up, most notably Matt Marchese, uh, who filled in a few times uh, and took care of things while I had a little bit of a break. I am glad to be back. Now, over the course of uh, the next two hours on this program, there are going to be things that we wonder about, maybe we're upset about, just sports things, right? And we've talked about sports before as being kind of like the, the Toys R Us of the media world. Sports is just supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be the place where, you know, you talk about frivolous things, you stamp your feet, you get outrage, or at least you feign outrage about, you know, certain teams or certain individuals or certain performances, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but on a day like today, after a day like last night or an evening last like last night, I think we have a sort of once again, in sports, a perspective check. And we'll start off by mentioning DeMar Hamlin and how all of our thoughts are with him and with his family. And, you know, hockey has gone through their situations before with players. Chris Pronger tweeting about, you know, his situation after getting hit with a puck in the chest, uh, whether it's Rich Peverly or whether it's Jay Bomeister or whether it's Alexei Sharapanov or whether it's Yuri Fisher, uh, hockey is no stranger to these types of incidents, uh, as frightening as they are, and they do give us a perspective check. And I know I'm guilty of this, and so I'm not, you know, looking down my nose when I suggest, you know, one of the lessons, <clears throat> excuse me, for all of us coming out of what we saw, and this is why we see defibs at every single rink across Canada now, is, listen, learn CPR. Um, I did years and years ago, but it's been a long time since I've had a refresher, and I think it's probably something that I should do. Um, if you don't know where, and you never know when this is going to happen, obviously, and you never know, you might be the only person there that could save a life. Um, Red Cross offers training, St. John Ambulance, uh, sja.ca, um, Heart and Stroke Foundation at heartandstroke.ca. There's a lot of places you can learn CPR, even just to learn the basics online. Now, a quick little YouTube search, and you can find uh, the very basics. But probably a reminder: one of the most, one of the best things you can do is obviously help save a life. And if you're the only person there that can help, um, I know that if it happened to me right now, I would know like the very basic, minimal basics about how to do it. Um, I need to relearn it, and I would encourage everybody. To do the same. Um, and again, our thoughts are, are very much uh, with the Buffalo Bill um, and his family. That was absolutely horrifying for everybody involved. Uh, to DeMar Hamlin, uh, we wish him a very speedy recovery. We know it's still a very sensitive and ongoing situation, but wishing the best uh, for Hamlin and his family. Uh, so got back from the Winter Classic yesterday. Our uh, plane landed back in Toronto around 10.30 Eastern. And a few takeaways, and I'm going to get more on this with Elliot Friedman coming up in Hour 2. Elliot's at the Leafs Blues Skate, so Elliot's going to be pushed for an hour here. Uh, David Amber uh, steps in here in a couple of moments. Um, coming off of the Winter Classic, a couple of different things. One, it seems pretty obvious that, well, first of all, the NHL has this thing down to a T now. Like the first few Winter Classics, it was like, work out the bugs, where is this going to work, how do we do this. Um, it seems as if the very basics of the Winter Classic are a formula, and what the NHL now does is work on everything around the game, everything around the event. How can we dress this thing up? Like, the actual game itself, I mean, the first two periods really weren't much. Like, not a whole lot happened. The third period is really good, and Jake DeBrus comes out the star. Jake DeBrus, by the way, if it weren't for Eric Carlson, we'd probably look at and say, hmm, is he the comeback player of the year? Um, 
another great game by DeBrusque yesterday with the two goals. Boston beats Pittsburgh by a final score of 2-1. to one. But everything around the event just seemed to hit all the right notes. And it does seem very apparent that the NHL has realized that <clears throat> this this event, the Winter Classic, which has become now a tentpole, as we all know around the NHL, they're much more comfortable doing it in baseball stadiums, and they work better in baseball stadiums than football stadiums. In football stadiums, the rink itself can kind of get lost. I mean, football stadiums are enormous. Um, baseball stadiums, baseball parks, like we saw at Fenway yesterday, much more intimate. You can do a lot more things in them, even though you may not have the same space that you do in a football stadium. There's a um, there's a, a cozier charm about doing it in a baseball stadium. And let's not forget, too, football is still a winter sport. So, yeah, you're going to be using that stadium in the winter. There is still a uniqueness about having a hockey game at a place that is dormant for the winter. And the crossover possibilities are huge. Uh, I know many people thought it might have been too cliched or too obvious, but I loved the teams coming into Fenway yesterday dressed as either Red Sox or Pirates. I thought that was an outstanding touch. You know, I know the uh, the Bobby Orr, you know, shooting the opening puck might have been eh, a little bit uh, a little bit too much for people, but I loved it. I got, I think at the end of all of this, what the NHL is 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 uh, is is looking at here is create a spectacle. The game is the game, and whatever happens in the game, what happens is what happens in the game. But as much as you can. Take whatever you have and whatever stadium you're using and create a spectacle. And, you know, the very subtle touch, and this is this is Steve Mayer, who's the uh, chief content officer of the NHL. This is his touch here of changing the configuration, uh, changing the configuration rather of the rink itself. So the backdrop was the green monster. We've seen it before. We've seen the Winter Classic at Fenway before, but the backdrop, just by changing where the rink was, and I know there might have been an issue where you put the, what do they have, like six or seven, maybe eight chillers um, right behind the Boston Pops there. It might have looked a little bit awkward, but nonetheless, that's where they had to put it. Um, so the configuration looked a lot better because you had the backdrop of the green monster. And you had people in the monster seats. Elliot and I did a podcast from the monster seats as well. Like all of it was real, was real cool. The game is just going to be what the game is. And, you know, as they continue with this and next year, I know there's a lot of people grousing about it with uh, in Vancouver and I get it trying to create the, the natural rivalry between Vancouver and Seattle. Uh, but next year at T-Mobile Park, that's another baseball facility, right? That's another baseball park. Um, so whether it's, you know, bringing aboard Ken Griffey or Ichiro or whomever to say nothing of who the musical act would be and some of the obvious is, you know, obvious choices right away would be Pearl Jam or Foo Fighters. You have to think that Dave Grohl would be involved somehow uh, in this one with the, the background with Nirvana. Um it's a way, you know, A, to uh, reward two of the most successful new markets in the NHL. Like, would it have been cool to do the cross-border Vancouver versus Seattle? Absolutely. Would have been real cool. Um, but there's nowhere to do this event in Vegas. There is not a facility. Uh, Vegas has become one of the main money earners for the NHL. Ditto Seattle. This one does make some sense, certainly financially, and as a way to uh, reward those two organizations, uh, their franchise and their fans as well. And again, this one is going to have, you know, very much a baseball angle to it. Like, I don't know if the players for warm up because the NHL loves the two look. Uh, if they come out with Ken Griffey Jr. backwards baseball hats for their skates, I think that would be really cool. Like, there's a lot of Mariners flavored baseball things you can do uh, with uh, with the Seattle Kraken. 
and the Vegas Golden Knights. So we'll see. But this one, you know, outside of the first 40 minutes, which were kind of a snooze, we can all be on the same page about it. Uh, at Fenway, the NHL hit a home run yesterday and all weekend as part of the Winter Classic. Got a lot to get into. 11 games on the board this evening around the NHL. And oh yeah, Connor Bedard uh, is showing everybody why you should be tanking to try to get him. Welcome to the program. Glad to be back. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so... Coming up on the program here, I'm getting feedback. If we could correct that. Austin Mackey, by the way, doing double duty today. Hopping in. There we go. We got that solved. So coming up uh, in hour two, I want to mention Elliot Friedman stops by to kick it off. Bottom of this hour, Don Waddell, Carolina Hurricanes president and general manager. Don't look now, but the Canes are the hottest team in the NHL. They've won 11 games in a row. Um, but if you listen to a program like this or watch a program like this, you already knew that. But some questions here for the Carolina Hurricanes. What do they do in advance of trade deadline? We know the owner is not a big fan of rentals or should I say paying high prices for rentals. Um, does that change when you become a Stanley Cup, dare I say, favorites? or a team that's in the conversation or a consideration to win the Stanley Cup? Do you change the way you feel about rentals with players like Patrick Kane and Bo Horvat and Jonathan Taves available? So looking forward to talking to Waddell at the bottom of the hour. Elliot Friedman kicks off hour two. Kicking off hour one is the uh, the host of Toronto Maple Leafs Hockey. He is also the host of Rogers Monday Night Hockey. He is David Amber, and he joins me now. DA, how are you, pal? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. you know, I, I was thinking about you on the weekend because I had a conversation with someone about Alex Ovechkin and the Winter Classic, and someone said to me, how perfect would it be if he either catches or breaks Gretzky's record at an outdoor game with Gretzky there? Like This whole thing seems to have like a blue sky element about it. You've been on it from day one, and as soon as that person mentioned this to me, I thought to myself, Wow, how perfect would that be, and how how richly and deeply would DA be smiling at that thought? That's funny. That that actually, you know, it sort of times out that it'll be probably November, December if he keeps on sort of this pace, or a little bit less than this pace of even if he regresses a little bit uh, of not next year, but the the following year. So, you know, just as yes. the NHL announced Seattle and Vegas, uh, they announced it at this outdoor classic. It'll be very interesting to see what they announce. And next year's outdoor classic because that that could fall into place uh, potentially. That would be just maybe too overload, right? It'd just be too much craziness <laughs> going on. Yeah, you know, I don't even know where they do it, where the Nationals play or where the <laughs> the the, com, uh, the Commanders play football or whatever. But it would be it would be yeah. straight chaos if all those worlds collided in that uh, in that day outside in in the DC area. That would be outstanding. Um, before we get to NHL. Uh... It's the discussion point of the day. It's, it's Connor Bedard. What's that? Oh, sorry. I, did I lose you? No, no. You got me. You got me back here. You got me back here. Okay, just, good. I'm just, getting, I'm just getting feedback in my ears right now. If Austin, if you could do something about that again, that would be great because I'm hearing myself coming back at me. But Bedard um, in overtime yesterday with the heroics. Um, Canada wins their quarterfinal matchup at the World Juniors. They beat Slovakia. Slovakia with the standing ovation on the way off the ice. They were outstanding. But everybody is talking about Connor Bedard, who through this tournament, and again, scouts will always tell you, relax, it's only a two-week viewing. 
uh, of a player's entire career. Don't read too much into this. But is Connor Bedard not just showing Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, Arizona, whomever, why they should be tanking at this point? Yeah, I mean, we're we're witnessing something really special here, Jeff. And, and you know, everyone's been talking about Connor Bedard for a few years. But I think now that we're seeing him against, you know, the top elite talent night in, night out at the World Juniors, the fact that he's dominating as a 17-year-old just says, you know, th- this is incredible. You know, you see the records he's breaking, you know, Eric Lindros and Wayne Gretzky and, and Jordan Eberle, and you're seeing some of the the numbers he's putting up and not just the numbers, but how he takes over a game. And, you know, again, that, that goal he scored in overtime to send Canada off to the semifinals is something we're going to see for you. It'll be talked about, you know, it's one of those goals of the ages. So, um, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation. I was in a text chain with some, some hockey people yesterday and I actually, and tell me if I'm crazy because I have these hot takes sometimes. I don't even think this is that hot a take, but <laughs> I, I really do. I really do see this. It's funny you're going to have Don Waddell. He's clearly not in this situation because they're a no. Stanley Cup caliber team. But let's say you're a team. Let's say you're Anaheim and you win the draft lottery. And you look around and you've got McTavish and Zegers and you have these good young parts. And Connor Bedard is an out of this world franchise type player. But seemingly, what if a team comes to, to Anaheim and says, we want that number one overall pick and we're ready to give you an incredible package of great young stars, the way that, you know, it happened with Eric Lindros and, and Quebec Nordiques and, and Philadelphia and everything. What if there is that scenario? Is Bedard the kind of player you just, you, you say, I don't care what, I don't even want to hear it. You, you won't move it. And, and one of the people in this text chain was saying, you know, there's just no way they would move Bedard under any circumstance. And, and I was just making the point that if, if you piled up, you know, picks plus incredible young, like there's so many good young players in the league today. And there's teams that don't necessarily want to wait five, six, seven, eight years. Um, and we've seen that there's no guarantees when you add a, a franchise or a superstar player. You know, yep. the Leafs have added Austin Matthews and haven't had the playoff success yet. And that's no knock on Matthews. Obviously, he's a world-class player, but it just hasn't worked out. Connor, Connor McDavid hasn't, you know, it's been eight years. He hasn't been able to do uh, bring that championship to Edmonton. Again, that's no knock on McDavid. He's been everything as advertised. My point is, is it better to have, you know, a package of three good stud young players come into the mix? And would that be enough to entice entice a possible move so i always met with some laughter but i don't know what's your you know what's your take on that that that, that's really interesting because the the one player that i I wanted to get to uh in this conversation about Connor bedard is peter forsberg who was part of that lindros deal Mm -hmm. and i mean the the lindros deal was a forced deal like if it were up to the nordiques like lindros would have been a quebec nordique and you know would it would have added like what what do you figure do you like 50 million to the to the franchise value uh, for when they were sold to Denver, and then Lindros sure. did not want any any part of that. But um, I mean, so that was that was a forced trade. Now you know Quebec slash Colorado did great with that. You can make the argument they even got the better player in Peter Forsberg. So I I do understand it. But you know what I always think of when I hear situations like this, I always think of Chris Pronger, mm-hmm. and here's why. So at Pronger's draft, and that was the Alexander Day gear. Uh, at Pronger's draft, the the story goes he was being interviewed by San Jose. And the uh, I'm trying to think of who the who the GM would have would have been at that point. There wouldn't have been Doug Wilson back then. Uh, it wasn't Doug Wilson. It was not. Was it George Kingston? I can't. I can't remember who the who the who the GM might have been. Dylan was it Lombardi? Anyway, mm-hmm. but the, 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 nonetheless, the conversation went like this. 
um, whoever was interviewing Pronger from San Jose essentially said, this is going to be a really quick interview because we're not going to take you. And Pronger said, what do you mean you're not going to take me? At this point, San Jose had second overall. They ended up trading it to Hartford, as we all know, and Berkey took Chris Pronger. And he said, no, we're not going to take you. We already have enough big defensemen in Mike Rathje and Marcus Ragnarsson. We don't need another big defenseman. So you turn down one of the best defensemen of that generation because you already had something similar. So whenever I hear the, you know what, you already have enough of this player, just trade him instead and, and turn it into assets, I always think about that San Jose conversation where the San Jose Sharks, had they kept that spot and not moved to Hartford, could have had Chris Pronger for 10 or 15 years. And what would have that done to the organization instead of just saying, well, yeah, the kid's 17 years old. We already have Mike Rathje. We don't need another big defenseman. I always just say, regardless of the position, regardless of the need, just grab as many quality players as you can and let your coaching staff figure it out from there. And the players themselves will figure it out from there. I always That's the one thing, because we see it at the draft and hear the draft every year, DA, about that exact same scenario that you're talking about. Well, they don't need this player because he has this plays this position and there's four players already occupying those spots. I always think back to the Pronger conversation and how different well, the San Jose Sharks would have been if they had drafted Pronger. Of course. Well, listen, I'm not inferring any team has Connor uh, Bedard because he's a special talent. I, when I was using Anaheim as an example, I guess what I meant by that, I want to be crystal clear because I don't want people to be rolling their eyes thinking that I'm saying they already have Zegers and McTavish. That's not it. I'm sort of saying they already have this good young foundation of pieces. Imagine if they could add some established players, right? Like, uh, I'm just going to, like, this is not something I think would happen. But imagine if New Jersey went to Anaheim and said, we want Connor Bedard. We're going to give you Heischer. We're going to give you Hughes. We're going to give you uh, Nemitz, this great uh, young defense oh, we just saw for yeah. Slovakia last night. We're going to package those together, and we'll give you our first-round pick because we want the superstar in Connor Bedard. You have to at least listen to that conversation, I would imagine, and, and sort of say, hmm, that's interesting, right? Like, yeah. suddenly we have some guys, we kind of know who they are, and they're still going to go into their prime. I'm just interested to see if, if some GMs are going to try and blow, you know, blow, blow the whole NHL uh, system up in some, in some aspect because Connor Bedard is becoming, you know, this special talent, right? This generational talent, yeah. like we saw with McDavid, with Matthews, and we've seen with Crosby and et cetera. I mean, these guys don't come around very often, and we know Connor Bedard, is tra- his trajectory is to be one of those players. And I'm just curious how hard some GMs are going to go to try and pry away that first overall pick, even giving up some bona fide young stars who are still under control for many years, just knowing that they want to have this superstar. And if the team that wins the lottery would listen to that, depending on, you know, where they, where they lie, you know, what their franchise has been all about for the last six, seven, eight, you know, 10 years. So there's a couple of dynamics at play there. One, there might be managers that look at that and say, from a hockey point of view, David, what you're talking about makes absolute sense. And we need to entertain that. Um, but from an ownership point of view, I don't know if there's any owner that's gonna that's gonna trade away someone that can sell tickets and mm. drive excitement. You know what I mean? Like that's like you, from a, there, there's like the hockey ops and business ops dynamic. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you see like you, you, you know, it's funny too. You see the because the, these clashes do exist. Normally, you see the business versus hockey fight around. This is gonna sound weird. The thermometer. The thermometer is a big clash between business and hockey where hockey ops wants the rink cold, wants it really cold so the ice is good, good game, all of that. The business side 
wants to make sure that it's very comfortable for everybody so they don't have to wear a coat and shiver for 60 minutes watching a game. So they would like it comfortable. So they, they, they like the rink a little bit warmer. And if the quality of ice suffers in the process, well, so be it. That's a normal fight between business operations and hockey operations. But when it comes to someone like Bedard, if you're the owner uh, of whatever team, I don't think you're going to look at Bedard and say, yeah, this guy's he's, you know, he's, he's all pumped up, number one uh, overall pick, uh, great player, can change our franchise, and he can create excitement, and he can sell tickets, and he can raise franchise value. If I'm an owner of a team, I'm saying not a chance. But from a hockey ops point of view, I'm saying, yeah, I'll listen. It's funny, too, you mentioned Anaheim. Because if there's any team out there that can offer a package of young players, maybe Anaheim's the best choice. Well, Buffalo, Buffalo, yep. yep. And you could say we've got power in his entry level deal. We've got Darlene, a burgeoning superstar. We've got Tage Thompson under contract. Like, imagine putting a package together like that. Again, this is getting so hypothetical, and it's very hard to do without knowing who has the, the first overall pick. But it just sort of struck yeah. me like, Connor Bedard watching him, what a special talent. And he is going to be, you know, by all accounts, an absolute superstar. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And to me, what strikes me most is he has that Gretzky-esque vision and, and anticipation, right? A puck does follow. He even saw in the overtime last night, he took the shot. The goalie made yeah. a save. He cycles back towards his three-on-three in overtime. He cycles back towards the blue line. And what do you know? Within three seconds, the puck is right back on his stick. And he deeks through three guys and scores the winner. Not every player would have gone to that position on the boards where he ultimately had the puck end up back on his stick. His, he has such great anticipation, such, such a great high, high hockey IQ to go along with this yeah. incredible skill set that it, it would be virtually you know, very difficult for a team to trade that package. But I'm just wondering if some GM out there is going to try and just blow the doors open and say, look, I'm offering you something you almost can't refuse, you know, an Eric yeah. Lindros-esque package of players that will ultimately bring you closer to a cup sooner than if you just draft Connor Bedard. You know, I'd be really curious too, if you're allowed to include money like you used to be in the NHL Mm -hmm. and trades, like we saw this in the Lindros deal, what would the cash part of that trade uh, look like? One one more thing on on Bedard, they don't want to transition to the NHL here. Um, For me, the answer is Peter Forsberg. And we referenced Forsberg here a couple of seconds ago. We always look for comparisons, like who does he remind you of by the way that he plays? Now, he's not as strong as Forsberg yet. Um, He's not as physical uh, as Forsberg was. Um, yet we have seen him lay a couple of really good body checks in this, in this tournament. Uh, to me, the answer is Peter Forsberg. Is there someone, like, is there a player that you've seen that Bedard reminds you of? T- to me, I keep seeing Forsberg. Is there, is there a different player or would you agree that this guy, this guy looks like football from the abs? Well, physically, I wouldn't say he's Forsberg, but remember, he's only Not 17. Yet. Not yet, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, his vision reminds me of Gretzky-esque. His hockey IQ reminds me of Gretzky-esque. His shot, you know, he has that incredibly hard shot. It, it's Austin Matthews-esque. You know, like he's a great, he's a great mix of fantastic players. Um, I don't know. There isn't one player that that struck me as when I watch Bedard. I go, well, that's this guy. You know, reincarnated. Um, Forsberg, though, the hardness he is on the puck. I mean, it certainly lends itself to a Forsberg style of play. I mean, it just, it's got to be so enticing. I can't wait for the draft in, in Nashville this year. Um, it's yeah. it's going to be so good, right? And the last few drafts haven't been quite as deep, quite as 
a superstar laden, but this is going to be one, you know, they're so excited about the scouts and the GMs are so excited about the top five picks and you have this crowning jewel at the top in Connor Bedard. So um, it makes for great theater. It's going to be really interesting. I, I, I can't wait. I mean, this year's draft lottery is going to be one of the most highly anticipated draft lotteries in some time. 100%. And, you know, we've had this conversation, what would be the best spot for, for Bedard? And everyone has their own take on it, depending on your interest, not even as a fan, but, um, of a specific team, but more as an NHL fan, where would be the best market for him to shine and really showcase his skills? So uh, it's going to be really, really interesting. And um, you're right, there are going to be some teams probably pretty eager to, to clear clear out the uh, cupboards of whatever talent they have <laughs> to give themselves as good a chance <laughs> down, the, down the stretch to, to have the highest percentage. But as you said, what is it, 18% I think now, or 18.5% for yeah. the team with the record? So, I mean, there's yeah. two ways to look. Hey, you got an 18% chance of getting him. You also have an 82% chance of not getting him. And you can talk to yep. the Buffalo Sabres who, you know, by all accounts should have won the Connor McDavid. Uh, should have won the Eric Ekblad, Aaron Ekblad, and they didn't win either of those lotteries. So there's zero guarantees. It's, I think it's only been two times in the last Montreal with Slavkovsky uh, and the, the Leafs with Matthews, I think might be the only two times in the last like 10 years that the team with the worst yeah. record ended up picking first overall. So there's no guarantees at all. And that Buffalo McDavid hunt was just hilarious. Like Tim Murray was just ruthless. Like remember, anytime the goaltender, like anytime any Buffalo Sabres goaltender would have a good performance, uh, he wouldn't play for like three games or they trade him. Like that's not what we're doing here, Mister Goaltender. We're not here to try to make saves and get wins. We're trying to get Connor McDavid. Damn it. Um, okay, you're doing Leafs and Blues tonight. Uh, yeah. Watch this one on Sportsnet Ontario. Your thoughts on like I want to get to the Blues here in a, in a second if we have a, a, a if we have some time. Don Waddell's coming up at the bottom of the hour. Give us your your thoughts on the Maple Leafs right now and what can you say? What do you think is going through Kyle Dubas's mind in advance of trade deadline? Now that the calendar is flipped, our next you know one of the big tent next big tent polls is trade deadline. What do you think is going through Dubas's mind? Well, I'm sure Kyle Dubas is really happy. I mean, they've been sensational, right? They, they've really been so uh, incredibly consistent. They're on pace for 115 points, which would match last year's team. Uh, you know, again, they've yeah. been consistent to the point they've had one four-game losing streak, a couple of two-game losing streaks. They've never let the wheel sort of come off, uh, as we've seen uh, other teams ha- have those struggles. It's been really incredible to watch. And again, I think what he's probably most excited about is not just that they're winning, but the fashion in which they're winning. They're not this offensive, you know, run-and-gun team. Since Austin Matthews entered the league, they finished top six in goals scored each and every year. And that's sort of been their identity. We will outskill you. You know, our power play is our weapon, you know, all that. That hasn't been the case this year. They've moved up now to eighth in goals for this year. So they're still in the top third of the league, but it's what they're doing defensively that's been so incredible right second in goals against mm-hmm. you know they've been incredibly consistent and they've had to use 12 different defensemen i mean at one point their four of their top six defensemen were on the ir like that's unbelievable that they were able to sustain themselves there so i think what uh, you know kyle dupas is probably most pleased about is he's been able to see a little bit of more more about what rasmus sandin is all about what timothy lilligren's all about you know he went out and got uh, connor timmins and he was a nice addition uh, and it looks like Sandy might draw back in tonight and, and Timmons will draw out. But, um, you know, he's seen that they have a bit more depth on the blue line than maybe he had thought. And that's probably given them some pause for thought. And then, you know, I, do I think they still need to add? Of course I do. And if Jake Muzzin isn't ultimately going to come back this season, that does open up some cap space to do some things. Um, you know, I've said this on, a, on another radio 
show uh, last week, I said that, you know, in my opinion, the Leafs need a stud forward and a, and a stud defenseman. And, um, and if they could have those two parts, then they very, very, very legitimately could be right there, you know, in Stanley Cup contention. But the idea that they're going to get through, you know, the playoffs with this lineup, I'm not sure that's, that's possible. And you can just look at Calgary last year. As good as they were, Chris Tanev got hurt in the playoffs, and that posed a problem. And we've seen, you know, we've seen uh, in past playoff runs, you know, Jake Muzzin got injured, and they just didn't have the depth on the blue line necessarily to, to, to plow through four rounds. And we know how tough it's going to be, especially to get out of that Atlantic division. So I think they, they need to add a few pieces, and I'm sure Kyle Dubas and the Leafs management are, are you know, factoring in every last opportunity and situation, and I'm sure they're going to tweak the lineup a little bit before March 3rd. Uh, I want to uh, leave enough time here that we can get uh, Don Waddell on, uh, uh, on at, at his scheduled time. Do you have a, a hot 60 seconds on the St. Louis Blues who are down Ryan O'Reilly and down Vladimir Tarasenko? Yeah, it's going to be interesting for them as well. And I think, um, you know, Doug Armstrong has some decisions to make. You know, Tarasenko and O'Reilly are UFAs. They're both injured long-term, potentially to be back, though, before the trade deadline. And, you know, this is a team that's made the playoffs, what, 10 of the last 11 years. But this could be that year where they have to sort of shake things up. We already saw the changing of the guard with the Cairo and the Thomas deals. And now you have an opportunity to get some other great assets and maybe have to, to move some of these key vets that, that helped them, you know, to that 2019 championship. So I, I see this now officially as a transition here for the St. Louis Blues, and it'll be really interesting to see uh, what they're going to do over the next six to eight weeks. Should be fascinating. Tonight, uh, Maple Leafs facing off against the St. Louis Blues, one of 11 games on the board around the NHL. Watch this one on Sportsnet. Uh, DA, always a pleasure, my man. You, uh, first of all, happy new year to you and your family, and uh, all the best in 2023. And we will catch up soon and watch for you on the Magic Eyeball tonight. Thanks so much, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Enjoy uh, the show. I look forward to hearing from uh, Don Liddell. Coming up in a moment, uh, he is the president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes as DA because he's such a good host. Uh, Tease up. Don Waddell joins me next. Thanks to uh, David Amber uh, from the NHL and Sportsnet and Rogers Monday Night Hockey for stopping by. Elliot Friedman kicks off Hour 2 in about 30 minutes. In the meantime, Don Waddell, GM of the hottest team in the NHL, the Carolina Hurricanes, winners of 11 in a row, drops by. What is he thinking as the calendar flips and we have eyes towards trade deadline? This is not a team that likes rentals, but when you're this close to being a Stanley Cup favorite... Do you change your philosophy at all? We'll ask Don Waddell that in a couple of moments. Uh, the GM of the Carolina Hurricanes in moments. Jeff Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Still to come top of the hour, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts on Hockey Night in Canada. Very much looking forward to talking to Friedge, who I just spent the entire weekend with in Boston for the uh, the NHL's Winter Classic at Fenway. Uh, in the meantime, 11 games around the NHL. One of them that we'll have our eyes on, the Carolina Hurricanes facing off against the New York Rangers. That one gets underway at 7 o'clock Eastern. Don Waddell is the general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes, and he joins me now. Don, how are you today? Jeff, I'm great. Thank you for having me. 
the pleasure is all mine. So 11-game uh, win streak, top of the division. This is how you imagined everything going at the, the beginning of the season at, uh, as the calendar flips? Yeah, this is kind of the, the dream run we're on right now. You know, we faced some adversity through it, losing some good players. and But, uh, you know, the goaltending's been really good. And, you know, we got a really good defense and scoring timely goals. So, you know, you got to have some luck when you go on these kind of runs also. And, you know, you have to uh, try to keep, keep uh, I always say, don't get too high with the wins and too low with the losses and keep plugging yeah. away. What do you like during, I mean, listen, you've been around hockey for so long. What do you like during winning streaks like this? Like, do you have, like, how superstitious are you? Do you have, like, the same route you drive every day, the same meals, the same tie? Like, what is it for you when you're on a winning streak? Yeah, I, I'm probably not as superstitious as some people are. There's, uh, especially at home, I have some uh, perks that I like to uh, do on a regular basis on game day. To, you know, we're on the road right now, so... Um, not, not over superstitious, you know, I'm kind of running with the flow and, uh, just, uh, keep my place and know, uh, let the coach do his job and, uh, things continue to roll on. You know, I know that there was some, uh, some frustration, uh, previously about Martin Natchez. Um, you look at this player now and you say, wow, good for the, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a holding on. Uh, to this guy, you know, the old Sam Pollock line, never trade a young player until you're 100% sure, not 99 or 98%, but 100%. What do you see the biggest the biggest difference between Natchez now and Natchez previously? Well, I go back to the summertime when we were having discussions not only with his representation, but with Marty himself. And, you know, he owned up to... Uh, Last year, uh, not having best year, and you know, blame some of that on his preparation, and you know, he had some bad luck at times. Um, and so, when you when you hear a young player talk about, you know, he wants to get back to where he was two years ago, and he'll put the time in uh, needed to, uh, you know, get ready for a long season, and then he comes to camp and he gets there, you know, three four weeks early, and shows that he's in great shape and committed to. Uh, getting back on pace, you know, you got to give the player all his due on this because he owned up to it, realized that he didn't have the year that uh, we all hope he had last year. And he's coming this year with a different frame of mind and uh, certainly has not uh, uh, lived down because he's been one of our best players game in and game out on a regular basis. You know, you have anyone that's watched your team for any amount of time knows how skilled the Carolina Hurricanes are. However, it's Fetchnikov or Aho. Like, this is like an Terravinen, like an elite skilled team. Uh, I've always made the point that when you just look at skill set, I'm not talking about longevity or anything, but just look at skill set. I put Martin Natchez in the conversation with all those players. Do you do the same? Yes, I, I do. You know, especially, you know, we saw it two years ago. You know, he had a very good year two years ago, and yeah. you know, last year was just one of those years as an off year. So, you know, when we talk about our team, you know, we don't talk about first line, second line, third line. You know, we, we can roll out four pretty good lines. You know, clearly there might be a fourth line, but the other three lines, I think you could say they could be one, two, or three each and every night. And so, I definitely put Marty up in that with that group because it doesn't matter who he seems to play with right now. We have the juggle lines because of injuries and so forth. But uh, the, whoever his line uh, line mates are, they always seem to produce. So um, again, uh, I, I would put him definitely in that class of players that uh, 
you mentioned. Uh, I do want to ask you about Kachetkov um, and the bench interview that he did was it about a, a week and a half ago with, you know, translator <laughs> Jacob Slavin <laughs> was was one that uh, that trended on Twitter and you know that went everywhere and he's become a, you know, has already become a cult hero with uh, Carolina Hurricanes fans. Uh, I, I I know the old saying is you never let someone injure themselves out of a position or out of their spot, but you know when you have three healthy goaltenders. Will there will there be three goalies with the Carolina Hurricanes? Uh, I know that no one likes a three goalie system. Everyone talks about how yeah we can make it work, but it, and, and seldom if ever does. Um, but would the Carolina Hurricanes entertain the idea of keeping three goalies? I think at this point in the season we would. You know, if you were talking the first couple weeks of the season, that's really tough to get through because you don't get enough practice time, but. You know, when you're you're yeah. going to be almost halfway through the season by the time Anderson comes back, uh, hopefully he's back here in the next week or so. Um, I, I do think that uh, we're in a position now where we're a little bit forced probably to carry three, and you know we'll try to find as much time as we can for uh, each of them because you want to keep them all playing. Uh, but I think as we look at it right now, when I look at our cap and try to figure it out on a daily basis, I think we've create a, a situation where we'd be able to keep all three guys, not only from a cap, but from a roster standpoint. You know, interesting with the cap conversation, um, as the calendar flips, um, Winter Classic is now uh, in the rearview mirror. You know, we look at, you know, tentpole events and we look at tentpole dates and we think of the trade deadline and, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes are in a tremendous spot right now on this amazing winning streak. And we're wondering you know what does what does Carolina do? What does Don Waddell do? What does Don Waddell think? You know your, you know your uh, your team and certainly your owner, I believe, doesn't believe in you know paying a, a premium for rental players. Um, but I, I wonder when you find your team in the position that Carolina is in right now, where people are looking at your team and saying this team could win the Stanley Cup going away. And you see some of the marquee names that are available. Does it alter the philosophy at all about not paying big prices for rentals? Um, I, I would say it does not alter the, our thinking because you know we're in this for the long haul. Certainly, we want to try to win uh, each year. Um, I think you know, just saying what you said. You know, we'll see what trans you know transpires the next two months before we get to the trade deadline. But you know, it, it's my job as a general manager to try to make our team better if we can. And you know, sometimes uh, you may have to pay a little more price than you're willing to. But if you think it's going to be a difference maker, um, you know, which is very rare at the trade deadline, we uh, you know a lot of players get moved around and only one team ends up winning. So that's what you got to keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, you know, is, is one one guy going to make that much difference now? You know, so for stay healthy between now and the trade deadline, you know, I certainly think we need to add some uh, areas where we like to have a little more depth uh, as we go on the after the trade deadline into the postseason. But I don't see us being out there uh, making a home run deal, uh, you know, especially because of. Uh, uh, you know, our forward group's pretty good. Our top four D are pretty good. And, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, if anything, you know, maybe we need a little more depth at, uh, at defense and you know, maybe another forward. Or so we're going to get Patch ready back here in the next probably week to 10 days, which will be a nice addition yep. to our hockey club. Um, but, you know, uh, you're always talking to teams. I've talked to three teams today already about, 
what they're thinking in that going forward, because I think there will be some movement coming here, uh, and I'm anticipating maybe movement happening sooner than later. Uh, for some of these teams, there seems to be a lot of uh, marquee forwards that are uh, potentially being uh, moved. Uh, you never know, of course. Uh, so, you know, you want to stay in those conversations just to see if there's something that does make some sense uh, with our thinking and uh, would help us down the road. Are you a um, are, are you a manager that believes that when a team has, and again, you're right, like, there's still plenty of hockey to play here before deadline, um, but when a team is having a season, the likes of which the Hurricanes are right now, are you a manager that says, I owe these guys something? You know, I, I can... I, I can always think back to, you know, that, that Carolina-Toronto game, you know, the David Ayers game, where there were a number of deals on the table that Kyle Dubas was going to pull the trigger on. And then after that one, it, it all came off the table. And, you know, the feeling was that the, this team doesn't deserve uh, a trade after, uh, after that performance. Do, do you feel that when your team has a season like the Hurricanes are, that as a general manager, you owe it to them to do something? No, not necessarily, because I also think it can work in reverse for you because, you know, these guys have gotten you through the 50, 60 games to the deadline. And, you know, if we're in a position that we're, as we're going right now, you know, locker room and culture, I know it's an overused word, but it's very important to us. And sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. that one change could uh, uh, disrupt your team more than, than the player himself is helping. So you got to be careful about that. You know, I always say, I don't, I don't think... Uh, I make change. Uh, you ever want to make a change just for the sake of change? You always got to keep in mind that is this going to make our team better? Is it going to work in our locker room? You, you got to factor all those things in as you're making these decisions. Um, speaking of culture and locker room, and I'm not saying this would be a decision based on that because he's still a very high performer. Um, is there any update or any discussion on a Jordan Stahl extension? No, I've had talks with his uh, his agent, Rick Kern. Uh, we talked beginning of the season, and uh, you know we both we both know that the end result is we want Jordan to finish his career and 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 Raleigh, and Jordan wants to finish his career here. So, in time, we'll we'll figure it out. Um, you know, it's trying to, as you know, there's been a lot of talk about the cap, what the cap's doing next year. I'd like to have a little more. Yep clearer picture on, on that and so you know we've, we've discussed all those things and and you know they've been very uh upfront about what they're they're thinking so we've had good talks uh there's no doubt in my mind that we'll get this thing concluded at the right time but uh it just hasn't come to that point yet where we either side felt it's a do or die situation mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about Brent Burns and what did you expect when you were making that deal and what has Brent Burns delivered or meant for this team so far this season? Essentially what I'm saying is, did you get what you expected out of Brent Burns? Uh, 100%. You know, when I trade for a player that's 37 years old, you know, you look at his birth certificate and then when he comes in the locker room and you meet him, you think he's 21 years old. Uh, You know, he was our second best uh, you know, I, I've traded for him on a Wednesday, and he came in on Friday, bought a house. Within a week, he moved his family here, uh, was in the gym every day. He was our second-best athlete in uh, training camp as far as all our testing. Uh, he's just a machine. But you want to talk about a player that uh, has fit in well with our group, 
uh, you know, at Thanksgiving, he hosted all the families at his house for Thanksgiving dinner. He's, he's one of those kind of guys, um, certainly liked by everybody. Uh, I think what he's done for us is, uh, you know, he's put up some points. Obviously, he's a passer. You know, he's uh, the power play. He's helped us there. But defensively, he's really rounded out our top four where we really feel like uh, we may not have the top guy in the league, but we feel like we've got four guys that, that pretty much uh, take against uh, most teams' top four guys. Uh, I, I want to ask you here what may seem like a frivolous question, but uh, I want to couch it in a very specific way. I'm a big fan of how the Carolina Hurricanes present their team from an optics point of view. Um, I really, you know, it, it, something is, you know what, I'll tell you what, Don, something as simple as when you're wearing your whites, that the team wears red buckets with it, that when they wear like their red helmets, it just, it pops, it looks really good. This has been a team that's always concerned about how they appear. Uh, I know that your organization, and I agree with this one specifically, isn't a fan of uh, wearing a lot of white. I mean, there's a lot of white on the boards, a lot of white on the ice. It tends to wash, etc. I agree with your team on that one 100%. What I'm curious about here is the Hurricanes logo. Um, it's not on the primary away or home jersey anymore. Are we starting to see the phasing out of the Hurricane logo? Well, that's a great question because uh, we talk about it all the time and we love our flag logo on our home jersey. You know, it's, yep. it's, it's, uh, it, it's, an, uh, I gotta be careful here. It's, we like the logo, but I think we see other opportunities to, uh, you know, create and present to our fans uh, different looks. And certainly we've been very proactive with that, with all our jerseys, uh, all our new jerseys. And, you know, with the red helmets, it's kind of kind of came two ways. We're right in the middle of a negotiation with a, a sponsor for our helmets because we don't have a sponsor on there. And, and their, their logo will look really good on red. So we tried it, and, you know, everybody seems to like it. Um, you know, a couple so – some things we fall into and other things, you know, we spend a lot of time. Our marketing department does a great job of coming up with ideas. I mean, we don't sit sit and uh, think too often about yesterday. We think about what we're going to do tomorrow. I think it looks great. I really do like that red button. When I, when I first saw it, I think it to- I called someone in the NHL uh, that I know pretty well, and I said, "Are you watching Carolina right now?" And the first answer was, "Don't those red buckets look great?" Like I think that you know, if I'm a I help if I'm like the Buffalo Sabres and I'm wearing whites, it's got to be a blue bucket. You know, like like you've like set in motion here i think an idea that you know from this little corner of the hockey world i hope more teams uh pick up on listen good luck tonight against the rangers uh extending this thing you guys are playing great hurricanes are always fun to watch right now on this heater it's exceptional um and best of luck the rest of the way best of luck uh, on the way to the trade deadline uh and certainly past that don thanks as always for stopping by with me jeff always a pleasure to be with you and happy new year to you and all your fans out there Appreciate it. Best to you and your family and the Carolina Hurricanes. Don Waddell is the president and general manager of the Carolina Hurricanes there. And I know it's a tiny little thing, um, but it looks like when you have, I know I've gone on about colors so many different times here on this show. When you have 
an obligation to wear whites. And that's a whole separate issue. Like, I firmly believe that there's just too much white on the screen. It's harsh on the eyes. The rink is white. The boards are right outside of the advertising. And you put white socks and white jerseys and a white helmet against that. It's not doing your eyeballs any favors or doing the uh, doing any potential new fans a favor when they first you know happen by a hockey game on television. But even just the presence of putting on the red helmet when you're wearing your whites, I say the Sabres. If you're wearing whites, wear blues. Ditto for the the Maple Leafs. Um, if you're wearing whites, wear blues. It just looks so much more dynamic that I really do think it's something that other NHL teams should certainly consider. Wishing the Carolina Hurricanes all the best. Tonight they'll face off against the New York Rangers um, as the calendar flips and we see teams in action. 11 games on the go around the NHL this evening. Uh, You can watch a couple of them on Sportsnet. uh, One on Eastern Pacific and that is the Sabres and the Washington Capitals. Also the Maple Leafs facing off against the Blues on Sportsnet Ontario. That one at 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet West at 8 o'clock. It's the Winnipeg Jets hosting the Calgary Flames and then a pair late the Oilers and the Kraken at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern. That's a big one for Edmonton. To say nothing of a big one here for Vancouver as they face off against the New York Islanders on Sportsnet Pacific. Eyeballs will be on JT Miller. JT Miller back-checking, I think, is what everybody's uh, looking for uh, after the conversation with, uh, with Kelly and Kevin on Hockey Night on Saturday. All right, uh, we'll turn the page. And we'll come back and talk about the Winter Classic that we all just saw that Elliot and I were part of over the weekend in Boston at Fenway Park. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada kicks off Hour 2 in moments. The Merrick Show continues Hour 2 on the horizon across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Thanks to Elliot Friedman for stopping by, as uh, as always. A number of games on the network this evening. 7 o'clock Eastern, the Washington Capitals. Welcome back, TJ Oshie. Uh, Capitals face off against the Buffalo Sabres. It'll be the Maple Leafs and Blues on Sportsnet Ontario starting at 7. On Sportsnet West at 8, big one. Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Calgary Flames. Good on Winnipeg, man. Uh, Oilers and Kraken, 9 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet 1. On Pacific at 10, it is JT Miller and the Vancouver Canucks. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Facing off against the New York Islanders. Featuring British Columbia's own Matthew Barzell. Uh, Matt Marchese joins me now. How you doing, Matty? Good to be back with you. I'm good, buddy. Good to be back with you as well. Yes, listen, I know last night was a tough... I know you're a Bills fan. Um, I know that Mm -hmm. was really devastating watching uh, DeMar Hamlin last night. And again, like I mentioned off the top... Uh, our you know thoughts and you know everything and I, I I don't know how much more we can say about how we're all trying to you know wish our support and best um, for him and his family. Great to see that his charitable initiative. I think it said four million dollars. The last time yep. I checked, I think he was hoping to raise what was it like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's now pushed no, over no, four 2500. million. Twenty five hundred. Um, twenty five hundred, Jeff. That's it. Twenty five hundred. Oh, really? 2500 and now so, it's yeah. $4 million? That's what I thought I read, yeah. Good job, people. 
Good job, people. I know this was a tough one for you uh, last night. The, the the one thing that I did mention, I'll, I'll mention it. Uh, I mentioned it off the top, and I'll mention it again. Uh, I know I'm guilty of this. I did it years ago, but I'm sure, you know, if Petra's situation turned to me, I don't know that I would know exactly what I was doing. Learn CPR, folks. It doesn't take mm-hmm. too long. And this is a this is a reminder. That's something that we should all know. If you spend any time, whether it's at a field or a rink or wherever, you may need to be ushered into duty to do this. You know, I always, you know, need to know, um, you know, where the emergency services are at every single rink that I'm at, just for my own peace of mind. I suspect many people are the same, but this was a, uh, I know you're a Bills fan, not that you have to be a Bills fan to feel for Hamlin, but I know you're a Bills fan and watching that last night must have been, must have been a difficult one for you, Maddie. Yeah, it was, it was really hard to get to, to sleep last night. And I, and I had mentioned this to you. Um, I, the only thing that I could think of was, not only for Damar Hamlin, but his poor mother who was in the stands watching that um, and not knowing what oh, was yeah. going on. Like as a parent, like I, I'm not gonna lie, Jeff, like I broke down last night thinking about that because I couldn't imagine that sure. happening. And, and so it was, it was tough and wishing him all the best. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he's still in critical condition, um, but he, uh, yep. his vitals were good. So we're just hoping for all the best. Cause at the end of the day, Jeff, what I think really set in for everybody was these are just sports but these are real people that play these sports. And I think that's what really hit home last night. Yeah. Hockey's had its issues too. Uh, I mean, Jay Bomeister, uh, Rich Peverly, uh, Alexei Sharapanov, like there's been Yuri Fisher, like there's been no Chris Pronger. Um, there's been no shortage of this happening with um, uh, with athletes in the NHL as well. So anyway, we, um, we, we, wish, the, uh, we wish Hamlin and his family all the very best. Uh, there's 11 games tonight, bud. There's 11 games, so it's a big, full, healthy slate of games. Uh, what's most intriguing to you? Oh, it's got it's got to be it's got to be Carolina and the Rangers because I, Jeff, I cheer for greatness. I cheer for dynasties. I think all that stuff is good. Anytime you get a, a, yep. a winning streak that goes past 10 games, I start to root for history. I want to see a team break records. Like that's you want to say I I was around and I got to see that and the Hurricanes. You know, they they do it, I don't want to say unconventionally, but maybe unconventionally for today's game in that when you look at, you know, they don't have a, a, a player who has a point per game this year. Like Martin Natchez is their leading scorer. I think he has one less point um, than he has games played. Mm-hmm. They have like four guys who have double-digit goals and only two of them have 16 or more, and that's Natchez and Svechnikov. Their defense is really good. Their goaltending is really good. They're just kind of defying what today's game is and that is hey let's have a really good defense let's have a nice balanced scoring instead of you know three or four star forwards or two star forwards whatever the case may be really good defense really good goaltending so i'm curious to see how how that matchup goes tonight between the hurricanes and the rangers that's that's tops on my list i am uh, forever fascinated by this edition of the carolina hurricanes it is a team that has And maybe this is best exemplified by their coach, Rod Brindamore. It's a team that has one foot in the past and one foot in the future. We know that a lot of decisions that Don Waddell makes, uh, like a lot of the hockey decisions that Don Waddell makes, are influenced by someone that we saw around the Chicago general manager search, and that is Eric Tulski, who I believe was one of the final four Final one of the final four candidates for the general manager position with the with the Blackhawks. Listen, Tulski's going to be a GM somewhere down the road eventually. I think we all know that that's it, it's headed that direction. 
Um, so a, a lot of what they do is is fueled by, you know, what do the analytics say? And listen, a lot of teams do this. Like Carolina is not exclusive to this by any stretch of the imagination. There are some teams where the manager will look at it and throw it out in the garbage. Carolina is not one of those teams. And what, a lot of what Waddell does and a lot of what Rod Brindamore does is influenced by a lot of the work of Eric Tulski. But a lot of it still, when you look at gameplay, is still is still a reflection of an old school mentality. And you need to look at it from one very specific way where the analytics will tell you uh, carrying the puck over the blue line on zone entries uh, increases your chances of creating a scoring opportunity. The Carolina Hurricanes, the last time I checked, were at least number one, or if not number one, at least in the top three on dump-ins. Okay, which is the very old school, get to the blue line, dump it in, bang up against the glass and try to retrieve the puck. The thing about it is Carolina is up around the tops. And last time I checked, they were number one. That may be different now in puck retrievals as well. So as much as they are a new school team, they are still very much an old school team. And isn't that Rod Brendamore? Like, mm-hmm. don't you look at Rod Brendamore and say, you know, part of the reason why, you know, Brendamore is considered, you know, such a genius coach. One, he's a player, not just players, not just players coach, but you look at how, you know, when Brindamore was re-signed, he took significantly less money, like significant, like leaving millions on the table. Uh, he took less money to coach the Carolina Hurricanes, but his, his caveat for signing was everybody around him got taken care of. Like yeah. he's got his money. He wants to be in Carolina. It's the only place that he wants to be. Like he's this combination of old school, new school that you see with the team itself. Now, it helps when you have someone like Jacob Slavin. It helps when you get elite level net minding. Um, most recently from Kachetkov, who's I'm endlessly fascinated about, as you know. Uh, I'm with you. Carolina to me is one of the most intriguing teams. And listen, when you're on an 11 game rip and you're facing off against the Rangers and they're going to start Shesterkin tonight, one of the best in the game, that's an intriguing game for me. Sign me up for that one all day long, Maddie. Yeah, and uh, I think the thing I'm most intrigued by is when we talk about, you know, not necessarily the lack of scoring, but they're more balanced scoring. I can't wait to see what Max Pacioretty looks like on this team and giving them a legit 40-goal threat, 35-40-goal threat every year to plug into that lineup, which is already really good. I'm looking forward to it. Don't you think that's where Svechnikov should already be at? Like, we've seen the glimpses, and there'll be streaks, and he'll, like, rip off, like, you know, six goals in three games. Um, I look at Andrei Sveshnikov and I still look at my, I still look at him and say, that guy should score 40 goals a year. Like, you know, some, some players at the beginning of your season, well, you know, this, you're a fantasy guy. You, uh, you say like, okay, this guy's going to score 35 and have 40 assists. Like take it to the bank. That's the the baseline. Like that's the minimum here that this player is going to get. I look at Sveshnikov and the skill set and the shot and like, all of it and say, how is this not, how is this guy not penciled in every season for 40, maybe plus? That's how I feel about Sveshnikov. Yeah, and he started out like gangbusters this year. I think he had nine goals in his first seven games or something like that. And you're going, oh, here we go. Like, this is yeah. this is what we've been waiting for. But he does still have 19 goals in 37 games. So he's cl- he's pretty close to that 40-goal that pace. It's just a matter of can he keep it up? Because like you said, we've seen him go on those those rips of, you know, seven goals in five games or earlier nine goals in seven games, whatever it was. But then he goes cold for stretches and you go, where did that guy disappear to? I do wonder if bringing Max Pacioretty on to this group 
I wonder how much pressure that takes off of Sveshnikov, who does lead the team in goals. Like, I, I wonder the dynamics of that. Like, oh, this guy's back. Okay, there's not as much pressure on my shoulders. I, I can perform. Not that they think that mm-hmm. way, but some guys do perform at a different level when the pressure isn't necessarily on them to, to score the, all those goals. The only thing that concerns me about bringing Pacioretty back at this part of the season is how long does it take for him to get up to NHL speed? Totally. Like when you when you miss that much, and let's not forget too, he's not twenty two years old anymore. How long does it oh, take no, for you to get up to that. NHL speed? Right? Yeah. There's yeah, no doubt. Sure. Like when he's healthy, when he's healthy and he's on a productive team, that's a really productive player. I don't know the answer to how long it's going to take. Maybe I'm way off base, but I don't think like you plunk Max Pacioretty on this team right now in early. January and boom, all of a sudden, you know, Max Patty is, you know, going on a 40, uh, 40 goal pace. Tough to see that one. Tough to see that one. Hey, where are you at on Edmonton? Where are you at on the Oilers? Like we're going to see the Oilers later on this evening. They're playing against the Kraken who have exceeded expectations. I don't think that anybody thought we'd be, you know, sitting here at this juncture of the NHL season going like, Hmm, the Edmonton Oilers are in a precarious playoff position here. What happens with you and the Oilers? Like right now, they're in a second wild card position. They're facing off against the number one wild card team in the West and the Kraken. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be this way for Edmonton. Also, wasn't supposed to be this way for Colorado. They're out of the playoff picture right now, but I don't think anyone's too worried about uh, about their situation. What about Edmonton here? So a couple of things. One, I was looking at that playoff picture today. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out who's not going to make it here because Colorado, like you said, is on the outside. Like I lean Seattle just because I do worry about the, you know, the, the lack of elite top end talent and especially up front. Um, Mm -hmm. But with Edmonton, I never thought that their goal, even with Jack Campbell, like we saw Jack Campbell last season and he had a great start to the year and everybody was talking about him for the Vezina by November and Jack Campbell has looked much like he did last season for the better part of, of the year. And, and Stuart Skinner, um, he's been the better goaltender, but he doesn't exude confidence for me as a guy going into the playoffs. And when we really break this team down, I, I love their forwards. Absolutely, I love their forwards. It would still be nice if they found Yossi Pugliarvi a helmet that fit, but that's a different story. Um, but their defense <laughs> is just their defense is just not good enough. It, it's not that to me. That group does not say, okay, we can have you know average goaltending behind us because we're so good defensively. Some of that is on the forward group, but personnel on the back end i don't look at that group and go yeah that's a team that i think is is a a lock to get into the playoffs regardless of how insanely good both leon dreisaitl and connor mcdavid have been this season i don't think it matters so the the last time i checked it was still you know very much a no um, that uh, Jacob Trickrin doesn't fit there, or that's not the area that they're, that's not the player they're looking at to help that. Because I, I, like, I think everybody agrees with you. Like, okay, that's that's one of the major areas of concern here. I think they look at Vladislav Gavrikov, uh, who's on an expiring contract with the Blue Jackets. Um, there's been a lot of noise around Joel Edmondson uh, as well. That that could be a fit there. I, I just, we know that Edmonton's going to make some kind of move. Probably for a defenseman. A lot of teams are going to make a move for a defenseman. I just wonder how goofy the prices get. Like, is Columbus going to get a first-round pick for Gavrikov? 
Is Montreal going to get that for Edmondson? Like, we've seen this in the last couple of years. Like, once upon a time, we laughed at the idea of Ben Chirot going for a first-round draft pick. Well, guess what? Ben Chirot went for a first-round draft pick. Like, we've been, been giggling about, you know, defensemen going for first-rounders even before, but maybe most profoundly starting with Kyle Quincy. And then it seemed every year a trade deadline... We couldn't believe how many defensemen went for first-rounders. The problem with trading your first-rounder this year is, man, that first round looks good. Like, if you're the Montreal Canadiens right now and you're watching the Florida Panthers and you're looking at that unprotected first-rounder that you own from the Florida Panthers, juicy, Junior. That's real juicy. All right, thanks to uh, Elliot Friedman for stopping by. Wrapping up the program here. Thanks to Don Waddell, general manager and president of the Carolina Hurricanes. They face off against the Rangers this evening. One of 11 games on the board. And thanks to David Amber, who feels he was done wrong by Elliot, and I guess me as well, in misrepresenting his ideas about Connor Bedard. Maybe it comes up if you're watching the St. Louis-Toronto game. Uh, David Amber hosting the panel. Merrick, show back tomorrow. Thanks so much for joining me.